Good morning everybody, I hope you're having a good morning. Well here we are at the final session of our series Journey to the Cross. I remember on one occasion many years ago I had to go to the bank to do something important. I can't remember exactly what it was but I do remember it was school holidays, the kids were with me and uh, they came with me to the bank, I put them to one side and I said you stay there, I'm going to speak to this person and then we'll go. And I did this important thing left the bank, nearly at the car, and I got this niggle in the back of my mind that I'd forgotten something, left something undone, something wasn't quite, quite right. And as I approached the car, to my horror, I remember the kids. I'd left the kids at the bank. I rushed back. Thankfully, they were still there and okay. And I'd done the important thing at the bank, but actually left the bank neglecting the more important. Now I'm sure you'll agree with me that one of the keys to life or successful keys to life is to be able to distinguish between the most important, the really important and just the important and be able to prioritize them as we should so that we can journey through life and things will go well for us. Well, sometimes we can think something is really important and isn't. And sometimes we can think that something isn't important when it is. Especially when we're young. Do you remember ever saying to your parents something like, why do I have to go to school? And your parents may say, well, you have to go to school to learn something, to get skilled, and to be, so you can look after yourself when you're older. Or why do I have to brush my teeth? Well, if you don't brush your teeth, you won't have any when you're older. And why do I have to go to bed so early? And of course, we're becoming increasingly aware of the importance, aren't we, of um, sleep. Did you know that God has something that he considers the most important thing for us as human beings? The Apostle Paul, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write a great deal of the New Testament Bible, says this in one of his writings in Corinthians. I passed on to you what was most important. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. There's something very interesting to note about this Bible verse. God's word states that it is the most important thing for us to know. And that's because it addresses the greatest need and the greatest problem from God's point of view regarding human beings. The question is, and the problem is, and the need is, how can I be set free from my personal wrongdoing and self-centeredness? It's so easy to go through life with a problem or a need and be totally oblivious to the fact that we have a need ourselves. Like the football player Fabrice Mwamba, who collapsed due to his high level of fitness. He had an undetected heart condition nicknamed Hokum. It's a disorder that makes the heart of young athletes operate like an 80-year-old heart. This young man didn't realize that he had a great problem and a great need. And it's so easy for us to go through life and not realize that we have a problem and a great need. The need for our forgiveness and the need to be set free from the power of the things that we do wrong 
is the greatest need in all of life for every individual. You see, the things that we do wrong, we know this, they spoil our relationship with others. Even the people we love get hurt and our relationships get damaged when our own selfishness is allowed to come to the surface and it so often does. The second thing is, is that the things that we do wrong and our self-centeredness separates us from God. God loves us, he cares about us, he wants to be close for us, he cares for our future, he's got a purpose for our life, but the scriptures say our wrongdoings separate us from God so that he doesn't hear us, although he loves us deeply. And the third thing is that our wrongdoings make us slaves to wrong. I was at a school once and I asked a whole bunch of uh, kids in a comprehensive school, who thinks that lying is wrong? And every single person put their hand up. And then I said, hands up if you've never told a lie. N nobody put their hand up. How come is it that the things that we know are wrong, we often still do? And it's because the power of wrong is so embedded within us that we are not in control to set ourselves free. We need a rescue, we need an intervention, we need a solution to the greatest problem. Somebody once says the heart of the human problem is the problem with the human heart. And we need somebody who has the power to change our lives and our hearts from the inside out. And that is what the message of Easter is all about. The message of Easter is God's fantastic, brilliant rescue plan. It says in the scriptures that we've just read, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. That passage of scripture says that Jesus died for our sins. What does that mean? Well, in a nutshell, it means that Jesus, who never did anything wrong, died on the cross as a substitute for us. The Bible says that the things that we've done wrong separate us from God. Oh, God loves you. He cares for you. He wants to be involved in your life. He's got a wonderful plan for your life. He's created you for a purpose. He wants you to know heaven and all the fantastic things he's got in store for you, even not just now, but when we die. But the things that we do wrong separate us from God. So Jesus, who never did anything wrong, died on the cross and was separated from his Father on the cross in our place. That's why it says in the Bible, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why was Jesus separated from God? He was separated from God so you don't have to be. He was separated so you could be reconciled to God. He was separated so that you can be forgiven. He was separated so you can be united. In fact, the Bible says God was in Christ, reconciling or uniting the world back to himself. And he did it because he loved you. It also says that he died according to the scriptures. Now, what that means is that this cross that Jesus died upon, this Easter arrest, all the things he suffered and went through, wasn't a plan that went wrong. It was a plan that went right. Dying according to the scriptures means that God had planned this. He planned it before the creation of the world. He planned it with you in mind even before you were born. He looked into the future and saw that one day you were going to be born and he planned a rescue plan just for you. 
and just for me. In fact, King David, who was an ancestor of Jesus, prophesied a thousand years before Jesus was crucified what type of death he was going to die. It's absolutely astonishing in its detail. 1,000 years before crucifixion was introduced to Israel by the Romans. And this is what King David said. They pierced my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Did you know that when somebody died upon the cross, their bones would be put out of joint? So it says here in that prediction, this prophecy, this psalm, that they could see Jesus' bones because his bones were dis dislocated. It says they pierced my hands and their feet. And as you know, the Roman soldiers did that exactly to Jesus. It says people gloat over me. The record says that people would stand at the distance and they would sneer and hurl insults at Jesus on the cross, gloating over him as he suffered on the cross. And then it says that they cast lots for his garments. Jesus had a beautiful garment that was made out of one piece of cloth that you couldn't tear and divide. So the Roman soldiers had to cast lots to see who could have his clothes. 1,000 years before Jesus was crucified, the detail of this prophecy is absolutely astonishing. But there's another prophecy 700 years before Jesus was crucified by the prophet Isaiah, and it predicts not just the how, but the why Jesus died. Let's read it together. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Do you see what it says? He was pierced, the nails in his hands and his feet, for our transgressions. He was pierced so that we could be forgiven for the things that we've done wrong. It says he was crushed for our iniquities, broken and bruised on the cross, so that we could be forgiven. The punishment that brought us peace with God, the punishment where we are now made up with God, our relationship is restored with him, we're no longer separated, the punishment that brought us peace didn't land upon me and you. It landed upon Jesus, and by his wounds we're healed. The wounds that he suffered on the cross brings healing into our life. It can bring us forgiveness from the past, but a brand new future as well. The mistakes and the regrets and the hurts and the grievances and the wounds that damage our life can be healed and we can be made whole, that we can live a brand new life, not just a new start in life, but a brand new life to start with. And this is why Jesus died. In fact, the Bible says if anybody has turned to Christ, he becomes a brand new person, healed up, restored, made new, brand new start. And this is why Jesus died. And this is how much he loves us. But there's more to the Easter story than Jesus' crucifixion. Because Paul says again in the Bible that Jesus was risen from the dead according to the scriptures. The same scriptures that predicted Jesus' death also predicted his resurrection. Imagine this, a thousand years before Jesus was risen from the dead, 
in Psalm 16, again, the prophet King David prophesied that Jesus would rise from the dead. This is what he says. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with joy of your presence. Here King David, recognising that God's Holy One would die, but also he would not stay in the grave long enough for his body to rot. And three days later, as the women rushed to the tomb to prepare his body for a full burial, they couldn't find anything in the tomb, all, only his grave clothes. And the angel said, he is not here, he is risen. He was risen and his body did not rot in the grave. So Paul gives a powerful evidence for Jesus' resurrection that ancient scriptures predicted it in remarkable detail. But he also gives another evidence. He says Jesus appeared to over 500 people. It says this, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. And then he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 people. Can you imagine that? 500 people witnessed the fact that Jesus was risen. Now, it's easy for us to say, oh yeah, but they were all lying. But think about this. Why would anybody go through martyrdom, torture, death, marginalization for a lie? And so many of these 500 witnesses laid down their lives for the fact of Jesus' resurrection. They were so convinced because they'd seen him that they were prepared to suffer and die for it. So Paul then, in his final thing, appeal, appeals to human logic. He says, why would anybody in their right mind die? Listen to what he says in the scriptures. If the dead will not be raised, why should we ourselves risk our lives hour by hour? For I swear, my dear brothers and sisters, I face death daily. Think about it. Would you die for a lie? Would you face death daily for something that you knew wasn't true? I don't think so. I wouldn't. But if you had met with Jesus, if he had appeared to you after the dead, uh, after he'd risen from the dead, as he did with Paul and so many others, you would possibly be prepared to risk death because you knew that Jesus is alive, that there is life after death, and that through Christ you can know forgiveness and an eternity with God and you could live life on earth fulfilling his purpose for your life. These are three powerful evidences that demonstrate that Jesus is risen from the dead. Paul puts a lot of emphasis on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can read the whole chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But he sums up the resurrection in one simple but powerful word in this passage. And it's this, victory, victory. Now, I don't know what defeats you, but everybody has challenges in life. Some people, it's their thought life, and they just have thoughts that torment them, thoughts that they can't control. 
For others, it might be fears and anxieties. It might be habits that are destructive and ruining your life and causing misery to the people around you. Who knows what it could be? There's so many enemies in our life that come to challenge us and many people feel hopeless and despairing over many issues or a single issue in their life. But the wonderful thing about Jesus' victory is that he defeated the most powerful enemy and threat to human beings, and that is the threat and the enemy of death. Nobody has power over death. Death comes to every single individual. And just think of it, with this COVID-19, the whole world, so to speak, is in lockdown because we're seeking to avoid and minimize and keep at bay the power of death. And yet Jesus, as we've just been looking at, went to the cross, died, went to the grave, and three days later, he defeated man's most powerful and fearful enemy, death itself. And because he defeated the most powerful and fearful enemy of, of human beings, there is nothing now that he cannot defeat and overcome and free you from in your life. Because the power of the resurrection is in the hands of Jesus Christ and he can pour his power into your life as we follow him and as we look to him and as we trust in him. Paul sums it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with these words. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what it says here. The victory of Jesus actually becomes our victory. It says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory. There is victory for you. There is victory for me. Because Jesus, our substitute, died and rose from the dead for us. Not just to forgive us, but to give us the victory in the power of the resurrection. Jesus' victory becomes our victory. The freedom that Jesus died to bring becomes ours. How does that happen? Well, let me put it this way. I love rugby. And when the Welsh team win a game, I don't say the Welsh team won. I say we won. When the Welsh team score a try, I celebrate. When that final whistle goes and the victory is ours, the joy of victory is experienced by me because I'm supporting Wales. I've identified with Wales. I've made that team my team. And this is what happens when we let Jesus be our captain, our champion, our Lord, our Saviour. When we identify our lives with him and allow him to identify with us, all that Jesus did becomes ours. So Paul says, as we've said already, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the power of a life that is given over to Jesus Christ. His victory and power 
come into our lives powerfully. So there's victory for us. And I want to encourage you this morning, no matter where you are or who you are or what you're struggling with, you don't have to lose hope because Jesus was put in a grave and it seemed hopeless, but he was risen again. And now there is hope, which isn't just an empty wish, but there is hope because the power of Jesus Christ is available to you through his resurrection. And when we give our lives to Christ, we start on a victory advance, a victory journey, so to speak, from victory into greater victory. When the Allies invaded Normandy on D-Day, essentially what happened, the war was won when the Normandy landings took place. It took place uh, with an operation called Overlord. And the moment the Allies secured that beachhead, the Normandy landing beachhead, victory was secured. But it's as they pressed in to Europe and as they marched into Germany, they actually obtained the whole victory for themselves. And this is what it's like when we give our lives to Christ. The moment we land on Christ's side, there is victory promised and secured for us. And as we live for Jesus and get to know Jesus and grow in our faith with Jesus and press into all that Jesus died for us, we can grow in victory. And sometimes when we first give our lives to Christ, we find things changing immediately. But as we live for him, serve him, love him, discover him, build our relationship with him, pray to him, worship him, discover more of him through his word and the scriptures, belong to him and get to know God's people at church and we begin to live and serve for Christ, we find that our lives change and we move from one place of victory into another place of victory. And no matter how hard it gets or how difficult it gets, I want to encourage you, never give up. Brush yourself down if you feel like you've been pushed back. Stand up on your spiritual two feet. Press in again, advanced, because there is a promise for you that God will never stop working in your life and he will finish what he started in you. In fact, Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will continue and finish it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, this is what God says for you. He will not stop working in your life to set you free to the, be the person that you're meant to be and he created you to be. He will not stop working until the day you die or the day Christ returns and he will finish what you've started, what he started. So never give up hope and never give up, but press on through into all the good things that God has for you. So if you find you're struggling or feel helpless or fail, don't focus on your failure or your helplessness. Focus upon Jesus' mercy and help that is at hand. And finally, if you don't know where you stand with Jesus, if you have never given your life to him, if you don't know that you've got a relationship with him, you're not sure about going to heaven, you don't know if you've been forgiven, you haven't experienced this victory in the power of the resurrection and all that I've been talking about, I want to invite you to give your life to Jesus. Make him your captain, make him your leader, make him your Lord. And all that I've been talking about can become your experience. 
So I'm going to pray a prayer now and invite you to pray it with me. It'll come up on the screen and it's a simple prayer by which you can invite Christ into your heart and life, by which you can give your life over to Jesus and all that he died to give you can become yours now. And you can begin an exciting venture and journey, not just to the cross, but a journey with Jesus Christ, the journey of resurrection power and resurrection life of purpose and love and joy and freedom and the guarantee that if you were to die tonight, you would go to heaven and God has wonderful things planned for you for all eternity. So here's the prayer. Join in with me. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me and died for me. I believe you rose again and are alive today. I turn from my wrongdoing to you. Please come into my heart. Be Lord of my life. Forgive my sins and give me the gift of heaven and life with you. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. Amen. Well, God bless you. If you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to go on an Alpha course. And in that Alpha course, you can watch it online, you can chat to others, you can learn about what the Bible says, how to read God's Word, how to pray and see answers to prayer, how to discover and grow a personal relationship with Jesus, how to discover the gifts and the talents that he has given you uniquely and how he wants to use you and bless you and guide you and fulfill all the wonderful purposes and dreams he has for your life. God bless you. Have a great day. Take care.